Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. So tonight we are kicking off iGrow, and I'm really excited about it. I love iGrow. Does everyone love iGrow? Yes, yes, it's it's so much fun. Um, this study specifically is kicking off the Heroes of the Bible series. Um, I, whenever you think about Heroes of the Bible, who do you think of? What names pop into your head? Shout it out. Clyde. Yes, Jesus. Who else? John. John? Paul. David. David. Abraham. Abraham for sure, yeah. Moses. Yes. Moses. Anything else? Esther. I love Esther. I don't know if she just popped into my head. Um, all of these people, whenever I think about them, maybe you're like me, this is my mindset. Oftentimes, I don't really, it's hard for me to relate to them. I often, like, I'll take Moses and I'll sit him on a shelf like Jesus. Like, he's, he's way up here and I'm way over here and I just am never going to be like him. And it's just kind of hard for me in those instances to really say, okay, how did these lives parallel to my own? Um, so whenever Pastor asked me to teach about Peter, I had honestly never done a really deep dive into his life. But I'm so glad that he asked me to do this because once you really dive into these heroes and the, the things that they encountered, you start to see that they're super, super relatable. Um, we often, we think that they're perfect. And we often will think, you know, I'm never going to be like that. But that's not true. I believe personally that that is a lie that the devil will use to keep us where we're at, right? To keep us from being um, productive and getting God to be able to do what he desires to really do with our life. But the more confident um, in God's desire to use us we become, the more apt we are to really step out and allow him to really call us out into those deep waters that he's calling us to. And that lie that says, you know, you can never do anything like Moses or like Peter, that, that's very quickly dispelled. And we start to get that courage to really allow God to move us and to move through us. So tonight, the focus of our study, I've already said, it's Peter. Okay, when we look at him, what we see is it's how God builds a leader. When someone mentions to you Peter... I want to hear again what pops into your head. Keys to the kingdom. Keys to the kingdom. Yes. What else? On this rock I'll build my church. Yes. On this rock I'll build my church. Anything else? Yes. Acts 2:38. Yes. Enthusiastic. What did you say? Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Yes, yes. Man what? with a lot of anger. Anger? Yeah. For sure. Yep, I can see that. What else you got? Anything? That's okay. I'm going to tell you lots about him tonight. <laughs> Those are all good things.
things. Those are all really good things. Um, what we find as we really dig into the life of Peter is that he really outlines the message of Jesus to all of us. You know, his, his life is really multifaceted profitable whenever you really dig in. And it, it's my opinion after I've worked through this study that Peter is the most relatable disciple in my opinion. Um, he was a mess. He was very much a mess. He made a ton of mistakes. Yet despite all of the mistakes that he made, he was allowed to lead a movement that has changed history. His life shows us that God has an ability, the ability, to take our mess and create something really beautiful from it. Um, one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible was written by a very mature Peter. And it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love that word. We quote it so often. Um, God, he chose Peter to pen this word. And, but it was God that breathed those words, right, through his body and onto this page. And when you study Peter's life and you connect that, oh my word, Lord, you used this man to, to say this beautiful verse, the power of that word that Peter spoke, it just radically will illuminate what it is that God desires to do with us and through us. And what Peter shows us is what does it look like to be called out of darkness and into that marvelous light? He shows us that path and that that path, it involves this journey. And along that journey, we require a ton of grace. He shows us what it's like to be chosen and that learning to live in that royal priesthood as that holy nation, this peculiar people, it's really a process. Peter, he actually lived this word he experienced the word, and God uses life, Peter's life to really pattern what that looks like for us. So I want to talk now, give you a little bit of background on Peter. Um, just some fun little things I pulled out. Uh, he grew up in Bethsaida. It's a small town located by the Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman. Okay, uh, What was it like to be a fisherman in the first century? I kind of looked into what was that like. It was hard work. It was lots of hard work um, to be successful. The fishermen, they would have to be patient. They would have to be hardworking. And there was a lot of hardship that they would endure whenever they were out and, and going to fish. And all the while they're doing all these things, they're in pursuit of this reward they're seeking. They want to get those fish, right? Um, those qualities, they really sound familiar whenever we start to parallel those over to our spiritual life, right? Hardworking, enduring hardship. All of that good stuff, it, it really um, goes nicely whenever we look at what discipleship is like. Um, Peter had these things figured out whenever it came to his occupation, being a fisherman. But to carry that over to what is it like to disciple people, he quickly learned that he had a lot to learn. And that's oftentimes what we find too, right? We might have something totally figured out in the natural, but when we try to go and parallel that over to our spiritual life, we're totally lost and we have no idea at times, how am I going, how does this work? You know, and I just love how Peter, he shows us that. 
Um, the third thing I pulled out is Peter was married. We know this because we read about Jesus healing his mother-in-law. It's really all we hear. Um, the fourth thing I pulled out is his brother Andrew was also called to be a disciple. And the fifth thing I wanted you to draw attention to is he's known as two names in scripture, right? We know him as Simon, and we also know him by the name that Jesus gave him as Peter. Now, I studied so much for, and pulled out so many things in this, I really wanted to dive into the instances of when is Jesus calling him Simon, and when is Jesus calling him Peter, and is there something there, and I would encourage you, I believe there is something there to see when, is, when he is calling him Simon compared to when he's calling him Peter, but we don't have time to talk about that tonight. So if you want to do a study on your own, do that, um, and definitely dig into that. So let's dive into where do we read about Peter? He's all throughout the New Testament. He's clear through all of the Gospels. We find him in the book of Acts. He's mentioned in Galatians. There's like, his name is mentioned once in 1 Corinthians, I believe. Um, and he's the writer of 1 and 2 Peter. In each of the Gospels, we read about Jesus calling the 12 disciples. We've got four different writers there, right? But four slightly different encounters that they're telling us about. Each of those writers, they focus us in on different needful details. And those different needful details, they give us this beautiful holistic view into what was actually happening whenever Jesus walked the earth. And all from these different perspectives. In each of the Gospels, though, what's interesting to me is the list of those 12 disciples. It's all slightly different. But in all of them, Peter is ranked at the top. He is the first mention, which, which tells us Peter was a leader. And he was in that inner circle that Jesus had with his disciples. Um, some just interesting truths about him. Peter is the most rebuked disciple. So if you feel like God is constantly correcting you, no worries. Peter experienced the same. You're not alone. Um, just reading about Peter, it makes you feel better. Peter, I don't know if you can say he was, I don't know. He rebuked the Lord, right? So he was, he felt courage enough to rebuke the Lord. And we're going to talk about that later on as we dive into things. Um, another interesting thing, he confesses the Lord more boldly than anyone else, yet he was the one that denied him three times. Peter is the one who knew that Jesus is God. And he identified him without ever being told directly. We find Jesus praised Peter and blessed him like none of the other disciples. Yet we still find that Jesus called him Satan. And he didn't call any of the other disciples Satan. The Lord, he said some really harsh things to Peter. Harder things than he said to any of the other disciples. But Peter endured all of it. And it was his endurance of all of that that allowed God to build him into that rock that we see that he's formed into. And when we look to his life, we see he starts out more like, when I think of him, he's like a reed waving in the wind, right? But then whenever we get to the end of his life, we see that he really was transformed into the rock that Jesus calls him. A rock that teaches us how God desires to build our own life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 tells us, 
Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Peter was a lively stone. He was a lively stone that was built into that spiritual house. And Jesus was preparing him for that leadership all along the way. And as followers of Jesus, the same is true for us. We all have this realm of influence that God has strategically placed all of us in. And he's working to prepare all of us to lead that realm and impact it with as much influence as possible. So was Peter perfect? And Freddie said, no, he was a mess, an absolute mess. He did not get it right all the time. Um, we see uh, so much humanity whenever we look at him that it can really maybe cause us to think, like, Lord, what were you thinking? But God still, he, he chose to use him. Um, and he never, Peter never had, he never gave up. He had so much courage. And his strength is found in the fact that he continues to seek God's direction and to really surrender his will over and over and over again. James 1 and 8 tells us about a double-minded man who is unstable in all of his ways. Peter was a lot like that double-minded man initially. Whenever we start walking through some of the things that Scripture records, you know, he, he was the first one in, he's the first one out, he's making these great promises, but he's not always following through on them. Now, he was both carnal and spiritual, which, if we're honest, it can really sound familiar, right? And as we look through these events in his life, we see that vacillation between the two. You know, is he spiritual now? Is he carnal now? Or where is he in between? He's that reed that's wavering. But all along the way, again, Jesus is patient, and he's continuing to prepare him, which, again, is what he's doing with us, too. So let's start looking through some, some of those events that we see listed out. And as we do, we're going to parallel his story to our own. So looking at the Gospels, at the Gospel of John, I want us to pay attention to where um, Jesus, he's called Andrew. This is whenever he's talking about, uh, or he's calling his disciples. Jesus has just called Andrew. Andrew goes, and he tells his brother Simon, he says, we have found the Messiah. He brings him to Jesus, and when he saw him, he's, Jesus says this. He says, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I love, this is my favorite piece, my favorite record of the gospel calling Peter. Um, and it's really worth lingering over because Jesus, during this first encounter, he demonstrates to us that he's, he was looking past Simon's past. He didn't see what Simon was in that moment. He was calling him what he was going to become. Okay? He called him what he was not yet. He was not concerned with all of his imperfections or any of that. He just was pushing him on to what he was going to become. And the same is true of us. God sees everything about us, the things we're hiding, the things that aren't quite right yet, that we don't want anyone to see, um, the things we wish that weren't there, uh, that he still, he, he wants us. And he's looking to pull us through those things and into his desire for our life. So immediately, in that moment, Simon Peter knows that there is a change that's going to happen. 
Okay? So now I want to look and see what sort of things happened after that encounter with Jesus when he's called to be a disciple. Um, we're going to dive into some of those characteristics that we find. The first encounter I want to talk about, the next encounter is Luke chapter 5. It's in this chapter that we see Simon, he, he catches a glimpse of something so powerful that it causes him to lay down his entire livelihood. Everything that he knows and immediately follow Jesus. No hesitation. In this chapter, Jesus is teaching. As he's teaching, the crowd is gathering, and there, there's so many people that have gathered. He needs more space. So he enters into Simon's ship, and he goes, he pushes out a little bit so he can really talk to that vast group of individuals that are there. Okay? Um, when he's done teaching, Jesus says to Simon, he says, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a drop. Let your nets down for a drop. So here we see one of those fun responses from Simon, and I, I laugh when I read some of his responses because I can just, they're just, his flesh is right there, and it's so connectable. He says, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. I just imagine, nevertheless, I will let down my net. After doing so, what we find is they pulled in so many fish that their nets started to break. They had to call others out to help them, and their ships began to sink. So many fish. So let's pause there. What did Simon do to deserve that? Anybody know? He was obedient to what Jesus told him to do. He was obedient. We'll go along with that. Other than that, he did nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. He did. He was obedient, though. So we see Simon in this moment. He comes face to face with the generosity of God. And he gets that beautiful blessing. He did nothing. Yet Jesus, he filled those nets and exceeded that expectation. And that same is true for us. We don't earn God's generosity. It comes to us because of who he is. It's not because of what we have done. This encounter, we find that it is so overwhelming to Peter, and it moves him in such a way that he falls down at Jesus' knees. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus says to him, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. This was so impactful to Peter, and we see this self-sacrificing characteristic start to emerge within Simon. And so they forsake their nets, and they start to follow Jesus. Peter understood in that moment that there was a bigger purpose for his life, that there was more than what those nets were going to get him, and he was going to run after it. In that encounter, Simon wasn't in his boat initially. He was on the banks of the water. When we look to our own relationship with Jesus, we all either were or maybe we currently are on our own banks, right? And Jesus, he's calling us deeper to follow him into the waters. Um, so I, what I want you to write down, consider later on, is what is he calling you to? Or what was your sure moment when you knew Jesus was really calling you to do something? 
Jesus had asked Simon Peter to drop his net. That didn't make sense to Simon at all. He had just done that, and it didn't work. He did it all day. It didn't work. It shows us we can't make sense of everything that God is asking us to do. Okay, and we, we can't try to. We have to have that willingness of Peter to acknowledge, you know, yep, I've done this, and it didn't work. But God is asking me to do it again, and because God is asking me to do it again, I'm going to be obedient, just like Brother John said. Jesus also asked Simon Peter in this moment to leave behind his nets. We are all asked to leave something behind, something behind when we follow him. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross, right? We're going to deny that flesh. No, I wonder, it's something that we should consider is, what is he asking us to leave behind? And acknowledge that we have this tendency to really hold on to things. I want to control my way. I know how to fish. I'm going to hold on to these nets because it's working for me. But that's not always what God is saying. He's saying, let down those things. But Jesus, he's constantly telling us to do that. Um, to find our life, we have to lose it. And right here we see Peter, he was willing to do that. He was willing to lay down that livelihood and really step into what Jesus was calling him to. Next I want to look to see, uh, we know Peter, he walked on water. How many people in scripture walked on water? Do you know? Two. Yes, two people. Two people were uh, walked on water. Jesus, he told his disciples, uh, he said to get into their ship and go to the other side. Jesus, he then goes to pray. And then at the fourth watch of the night, he comes to his disciples. He's walking on, on water. All of the disciples, when they see him, they're afraid. They think he's a ghost. And Jesus tells them, he says, be of good cheer. It's me. Peter responds, Jesus, if you bid me to come to you, if it's you, sorry, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Jesus does, and Peter steps out of that boat. Okay? Then Peter sees the wind, he sees the waves, and then fear starts to step in, and he begins to sink. Okay? Immediately, he cries out to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out and catches him. A lot of times, we look at this record of Peter's life, and we use it to criticize his faith. And that's valid. I'll agree with that. There's a lot to say about that with this portion, but I also want to look to see what happened before he sank. Okay? It was Peter who had the courage to say, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out into the water. And he does. Okay? So Peter, he goes while all the others are still sitting there in the boat. And they're sitting there, and they're uncertain of what's going to happen. So, was there a weakness in Peter's faith? Absolutely. Okay? But was there strength in the fact that he was willing to do something that the others were not willing to do? Absolutely. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Peter's eyes were on Jesus in such a way that in that moment, it didn't matter what Jesus was calling him to walk through to get to him. The impossibility he was stepping into in order to draw closer to him, it hadn't even phased him in that moment. It wasn't until he actually got out of that boat that his eyes got off of Jesus. If, you got, if we've ever had the courage to get out of our own boat or whatever it is that Jesus is calling us to get out of, I think we can all relate to that, right? 
you start to have courage for Jesus and look out, there's going to be some wind, there's going to be some waves, and something's going to come at you to try to knock you off course and get your gaze off of Jesus and onto the waves or the wind, whatever it is. It, it's really hard for us to step out of our comfort and into that uncertainty. You know, there's that resistance, just like Peter, he experienced. Um, but when all is said and done, and this message, we, when all is said and done with this message, we don't see Jesus um, criticizing Peter for getting out of that boat. Okay? What we see him doing is he's coaching him on his faith. Jesus doesn't criticize us for stepping out of the boat either. And when we ourselves get knocked over or our eyes get off Jesus and we start to get discouraged, he's not going to criticize us for having the courage to step out. But he will come into us and he will start to coach us just like he did with Peter on things that we should have done differently, trying to build our faith and get us to be stronger in those moments. You know, really, he stands like a coach focusing us in on our technique, right? Those areas of weakness where we're lacking. Our, some things to consider about this piece specifically is our obedience to Jesus, it serves as a training ground for growth. Training, if you've trained for anything physically, it's painful sometimes. Um, it involves some corrections. I think about running. I, my mind jumps to my track coach whenever I was younger, and they would coach me on my technique. Your arms, you don't run like this, Jessica. You run like this, you know? Or dig deeper with your heels. Like They're, they're telling you it's all constructive. This is how you're going to do this better and more effective. Um, we also need to note here, Peter's experience, it did not go quite as planned. Anybody else done something for Jesus and it didn't go quite as he planned? <laughs> yes, 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 we're all smiling and nodding because we've all had it happen to us. Um, that's okay. He, he did experience God's power through that, even though it didn't go like he expected. <coughs> that same is true for us. If we want to experience God's power, we have to get out of that boat. We have to get out of our comfort zone and really allow God to do what he's wanting to do with us. And that painful experience, that painful experience, it didn't stop at Peter. If we'll remember, there were still disciples sitting in that boat, and they saw what happened. And that moved them. They were all at Jesus' feet at the end of that. So let's now, I want to move over to Peter and the foot washing. And we read about that in John chapter 13. And Jesus and his disciples had just finished eating supper. Jesus, he's girded himself with his towel. He begins washing the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter and, and he asks him, Peter asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus responds, what I do doesn't make sense now, but you'll understand after. Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. To which Jesus then goes to respond, if I don't wash you, you will have no part in me. Peter then goes on to say, then wash all of me. You know, when we look at this, we see some different things are happening in this. And Jesus, he's demonstrating to us, he's demonstrating his humility. 
he's their master, and he's humbled himself to a place showing them personally that servant leadership that we all have to get a grasp on if we're ever going to be able to be used by God. Um, from Peter, though, we see he's acting out of emotion. He's a little presumptuous, too. Um, but the one thing that really stands out here to me is Jesus, he presents something to Peter, and Peter doesn't want to submit to it. Oh, Lord, you're not touching my feet. You're not washing my feet. It's not what Peter is expecting. It's not ordered how he thinks it should be, and he's pushing back on it. Hey, we read Peter again. He says, no, not this. Has anyone else, has God asked you to do something? You're like, no, no, not that. I think we all, if we're honest, we could say, yeah, he's shown me something that I don't want him to do that. And I don't want to do that. But Jesus, then he goes to him and he says, unless you allow this, you're not going to take any part in me. <clears throat> so we see here in that moment, Peter's pride, it's totally pushed to the side. Okay? His pride is pushed to the side. And then he goes from one extreme over here to the other. And he's like, all right, watch all of me. Hey, don't touch my feet, but now you can watch all of me. Um... Jesus, he lets him know, no, Peter, you're still not getting it. And that's my interpretation. I just imagine Jesus, no, that's not it either, Peter. He's telling him, he said, you know, you've already been washed. You don't, you don't have to be entirely cleaned again. It's just those little pieces that are getting dirty along the way, the day-to-day -day things that need to be washed. Um, so that's what we have there with the foot washing, is just seeing, you know, sometimes... God will present us with those things that aren't quite our idea of what he should be doing or how we should be behaving. Um, next, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. In it, we find Jesus, he had just told his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer many things while he was there. And then we read, Peter took him, took Jesus, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And Jesus says to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those of men. Okay? Again, we've got this presumptuous Peter. He's acting out of emotion. He doesn't agree with God's plan. He doesn't agree with what Jesus has just said. And he's telling Jesus, Don't submit to this idea. That's, that's not going to happen to you. To a level that Jesus, he flat out calls him Satan. I'm sure that was a pretty hard blow for him to take. <laughs> I wonder, though, if we start to draw this to a personal life application sort of thing, have we done that ourselves with God's plan? God's plan is not always what we expect. We just touched on that a little bit with the foot washing. Um, there are some things we've got to endure that we would rather dismiss, right? Some things that are not fun. Um, but savoring the things of God, whether we agree to them or not, is what Jesus is teaching Peter in this moment. And we find out later, Peter did actually hear that loud and clear. Peter, he smote the high priest's servant. And we find that in John chapter 18, verse 10. We're in the garden. There's a band of men that have just come into the garden along with the officers of the high priest. 
I did some research to find out, like, what is abandonment? How many, how many people would that be? What I found was I could be anywhere from 300 to 600 men. And just that band of men, that's not counting the officers that came with the high priest. Considering all of that, that garden would have been covered with men. So I just want you to imagine that garden. You've got the disciples with Jesus, and you've got this band of men and the officers of the high priest. There's a lot of people in there, okay? So Judas and the band of men, they come to get Jesus in the garden, and Simon Peter... In an attempt to protect Jesus, he takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. I really, when I look at this, I'm not real sure what to think of Peter's behavior. It's really interesting to stop and consider. All, all those men were there, and they've got this small number, right? This great big group of men against this small number of men. His weakness, we can see here, is again, he's presumptuous. He's acting out of emotion again, but we see Jesus, he steps in, and again, he's correcting his behavior, telling him, put up his sword. And in other records in the gospel, he's actually, he steps in, he puts that ear back on, and he tells Peter, enough. Okay? I know my mom has told me enough a few times, and so to hear Jesus say, enough, I can't imagine what that would be like. Right? But Jesus, he said that. And I think in our own lives, if we're real transparent before God, we can, we can hear him say in those moments, this is enough, child. This is enough. This is what the path we need to take. And what he does here is... I lost my father. But... Um, he can't, we can't help but see those things in this record. But whether he's presumptuous, acting out of emotion, unsubmitted, all of those different things that we might try to pick out of this story, you can't help but skip over the fact that, but not skip over the fact that he was courageous. He was very courageous in this moment. He had to have believed that since Jesus was there, that the size of their group didn't matter. Okay? But again, he's not submitting to that plan of Jesus. He had to have courage that this 600 men or however, there's nothing compared to my Jesus that's right here. Let me take my sword. Right? So he was ready to go. But Jesus is like, man up, Peter. That's not what we're doing today. So what we see here is there's this powerful message to Peter about loving our enemy. And again, submission to God's plan when it really doesn't line up with what our expectation is. Peter was slow to receive deeper truth. We find that in Mark chapter 8 is where we see this weakness. In this chapter, we see Jesus. He had just fed the 4,000, but prior to this, he had fed the 5,000. The disciples, they had left the leftover seven loaves or seven baskets of bread. They forgot them, and they had gotten onto their ship, and they only had one loaf of bread. Okay? And they're trying to figure out do and Jesus he charges them he's saying take heed beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod Peter and the disciples they think that he's talking about actual bread because they're lacking bread but Jesus he's actually warning them about the doctrine the doctrine of the Pharisees and as they're trying to make sense of what has been said Jesus knows that they're struggling that they're not quite getting it 
And he says, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he said to them. I love that. That I read to you, that was in the New Living Translation. I love how that one really brings it down to terms that I can understand, where he's like, I did this, this, and this. Don't you get it yet? He asked them two times, are you not getting what I, you don't have to have these seven loaves of bread. Right? What I have is enough. We see loud and clear. Peter, he, he struggled with spiritual dullness. Misunderstanding what Jesus was saying, and he had some spiritual blindness too in his life. But things that we need to consider when we look at this area of scripture is we struggle with that same spiritual dullness. Okay? We have this spiritual amnesia is what I liken it to, right? Like we can have these mountaintop experiences where we're like, whoa, did you see what God did? And we will be shouting to our friends, we'll be posting on whatever social media we want to that, look what God did. And then the next day or a few hours later, we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I left my bread. Now, and we forget so quickly, so quickly the things that God has done for us. You know, it, it really takes us time to receive revelation, just like it was taking the disciples time to really understand that he's not talking about bread. He's not talking about bread at all. Um, um, and once we do get it, it can still be a hard thing for us to hold on to that revelation, <coughs> certainty, and to hold on and remember what God has said. The next area I want to talk about is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 21 through 34. Jesus tells Peter that Satan desires to sift you as wheat. And I think I wrote my verses wrong down, or down wrong. It's 31 through 34, which I'm going to talk to you about. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. After this, we see that sifting happen, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I don't want to jump there too quickly because there's some things that we really need to pull out of this. Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. That's what Jesus told to Peter. Satan, he wanted to shake Peter so hard that his faith would fall. But Peter says, and this is in my own words, he says, uh-uh, Lord, not me. I'm going to prison with you or I'll go to death with you. But no, uh-uh. And what we see here is Peter, he's overly confident in his flesh. And sometimes we can do that same thing. We can be so confident. I'm not going to fall there, God. I am not going to fall there. Jesus then tells him he's wrong. That even today, 
he's going to deny him. Not once, not twice, but three full times. But pay close attention to that. We find Jesus, he didn't, he didn't promise to remove any of that sifting at all. He told Peter that that test was coming. He even told him he was going to fail the test. But he did say that he was interceding for him, and he was praying that his faith was not going to fail him. He says, when you are converted, not if. He says, when you are converted, you need to strengthen your brethren. He's teaching us, Jesus, he's teaching us so much in this little area, in these few short sentences. It says, um, something that I want to cue us in on is, after, Jesus says, after this happens, you're going to strengthen your brethren. I want you to strengthen your brethren. So after this testing happens, you're going to endure it and use what you have learned to help someone else. It is not for you alone. It is to help someone else that is battling that same thing. Peter learned this through this whole situation. He learned he cannot deny on his, or he cannot uh, depend on his own flesh that he was once so confident in. He was overconfident, and what this trial taught him is that our flesh is very weak. It truly is weak, but what the devil intends for bad, God will use for his good. And it gave Peter compassion to want to help others to overcome the same things that he endured, which is exactly what God does for us and what he desires to do in us. So let's jump to that denial. He pridefully stated that he was never going to deny Christ, and he denied him anyway. And these denials, Satan was truly sifting him as that wheat. And through this experience, Peter had to have uh, learned to be watchful and careful. And when we get to First and Second Peter, we read that he is telling people, be watchful, be careful. He learned something substantial from this moment. And yes, Peter, he did deny Jesus. There is clear weakness there that we all need to learn from. But still in the midst of this weakness that we see in him, there's also a strength. He's, we've got that vacillating between those two things. Um, Peter, Peter had the courage to follow Jesus. It was just Peter and one other disciple that chose to follow Jesus. When he was taken into the high priest's house, he didn't abandon Jesus completely. While the other disciples, they ran and were afraid, Peter didn't do that. He wanted to stay close to Jesus, and in fact, he remained close enough to Jesus that in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, we see that Peter has just denied him for the third time, and Jesus turned and he looked upon Peter. He looked upon Peter, and they locked eyes, and it was then, sorry, it was then that Peter remembered those words. Sorry, I'm a mess. So he stayed close to Jesus, even while he was denying him. In that moment, allowed that correction to really come in. It really swept over him and brought him to that state of repentance. He felt remorse. He felt that really heavily on him. He must have thought he was a failure. I need to get myself into control. He must have thought that he lost it all. But our God is so good. He is so great. And we all have those moments of failure, don't we? Where we feel like we have wronged God. We have let him down. But God is so gracious. And we see that grace come whenever he, he finds Peter. And he allows Peter 
to profess him again, right? Not once, not twice, but those three times again. And what Peter thought that he had lost, God gives right back to him. Anyone else have one of those moments where you think that what you lost in God is gone? You lost something, but God, he, he presents you back with it. If you had that moment, it's something that you will hold on to for your whole life. Your whole life. And if you have it, it's going to come. And it will knock you on your seat in awe and, and just grace, being able to behold the grace of God and his mercy. So in the midst of this mess, all of these weaknesses and all of this stuff we've been talking about, there's also quite a few strengths that we've outlined in all of this. Um, another strength I want to talk about, we said that Peter had this spiritual dullness, but Peter also had some spiritual insight. We see that in John chapter 6. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. In this chapter, we see there's a whole lot going on. Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and the following day, people are coming back to Jesus. He's teaching the people. He's warning them all about worldliness, the bread of heaven, and the people are not getting it. He gives them the parable of the bread of life and these deep truths that he's giving to these people. They're just not getting. They're misunderstanding it. And many of the disciples, they choose to turn away in this moment. Seeing this, Jesus, he turns to the twelve. He says, will you go away also? And then Simon Peter, he answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Even in the midst of others turning their back on Jesus. He's got courage enough to stay. And the spiritual eyes to see that this is the way, whether others are turning back or not, this is the way. And that spiritual dullness that we talked about earlier, we can see that it's, it's moving into that spiritual insight. I want to go ahead and jump over to the greatest confession. confession. Peter is known for the greatest confession. And we find it in Matthew chapter 16. Um, Jesus had just explained to the disciples what he had meant about the leaven of the Pharisees. And then we, we step into Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. It says this, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give it unto thee the, kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Peter, that same man that we've ID'd all of these weaknesses in, he was trusted with the revelation that Jesus is God. That truth gives all of us that have these weaknesses so much hope. So much hope. We don't have to have it all together. 
for God to reveal things to us. I'm going to go ahead and we're running out of time. I want to jump to the book of Acts. When we get to the book of Acts, we see before the book of Acts a very fleshly Peter. In the book of Acts, we see that that wavering reed has turned into that stone. Okay? That stone emerges and his conversion has happened. He's been through things. We've seen that the fiery trials that he has been through, they have changed him. They have purified him. And he is that rock. You know, Jesus, he's the cornerstone. But what we see with Peter is he's teaching us how to build. He's teaching us how to build our lives on that cornerstone. Acts chapter 2, we read that Peter said immediately after the Holy Ghost had first fallen, he stands up with the eleven and he explains to the people of Judea what they're seeing. Right? These people are not drunk as he supposed. Right? He makes that great uh, that. That great speech, he explains to the group what that they have just crucified their Savior. And they're pricked in their hearts, what shall we do? And he explains to them, Acts 2.38. After um, Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus, he told them, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it's after this proclamation, this Acts 2.38, that we see Peter, he's using those keys. You know, he's really stepping into his calling. And there's so many different examples that we see laid out in Acts. Now I'm going to go through a few of them. Um, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are together. And that's where we see the lame man at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. Right? Peter takes him by the right hand, lifts him up, and he's healed. That miracle creates such a stir. Such a stir that Jewish leaders are so angry about it, they want to put a stop to it. They threaten Peter not to teach in the name of Jesus again. And here we see that different Peter. He has emerged. And where he was once called out for being that follower who denied him, here we see Peter. He is courageously declaring. He's saying, but we cannot speak the things. Oh, so sorry. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He's not turning from this any longer. He's like, I can't help but talk about what I have seen and what I have heard. Um, Acts chapter 8, we see another spiritually insightful Peter. He has discerned the heart of Simon the sorcerer. He understands that Simon, he doesn't truly want the Holy Ghost. He's trying to buy it. And he understands what Simon the sorcerer is saying. And he says that he cannot buy the Holy Ghost. Um, Acts chapter 9, we read that God uses Peter to raise Dorcas from the dead. Acts chapter 10, Peter receives that, vis that vision that salvation is now open to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 12, Peter is arrested and the angel of the Lord comes upon him and delivers him out of prison. And that was the second time that that happened. Acts chapter 15, the church is in this disagreement about circumcision. Peter rises up and he says... God opened this up for the Gentiles. He's the one that put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. By faith. And again, here is where we see Peter. He's no longer concerned with the things of men like we saw in those previous instances in the gospel. He doesn't care. He's just telling them what God has told him. I do want to point out something. Later in life, though, we find an encounter. We're stepping out of the book of Acts. 
later in life, we find an encounter with Peter that gives those of us who struggle after our Pentecostal experience and aren't quite perfect yet, it gives us some hope, you know, and it really drills us with the truth that we're not going to reach perfection on this side of heaven. Okay, even after those mountaintop highs that we have, we can still show that we've got a lot of growing and maturing to, to go through. And we find this instance in the book of Galatians, written by Paul. And it's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, we find the apostle Paul is correcting Peter. A group of believers who said circumcision was critical, they had come into Antioch where Peter was, and as a result, Peter starts to change his behavior toward the Gentiles. Paul knew what was happening, and he let Peter know that his behavior was hypocritical. Paul saw that what was happening was there was a wedge of disunity that was, it was being driven in, and he let Peter know, no, we are one. Remember that vision that Peter had in the book of Acts, right, that said that the salvation was now going to be opened unto the Gentiles? After that vision, visiting the house of Cornelius, you know, Peter saw all of this happening, but suddenly he's shying away from them, and he's not going to dinner with the Gentiles like he used to. For some reason, Peter started to fear those men. That fear that he once had bound and found a way to emerge. If we sit in honest reflection, we might be able to identify sometimes whenever we've had something, some weakness in our life bound, but suddenly kind of out of nowhere it reemerges. You know, we all struggle with those times, and that's what we see happening with Peter. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20, chapter 29, verse 25 tells us the fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Peter was trusting in the men in that moment. What I appreciate about this piece of scripture so much is that it does speak that we are not perfect. We are not perfect after we have that great Pentecostal experience. You know, we, we haven't arrived yet. There's still times when we are going to fail. So how does Peter respond? How does Peter respond to this call out by Paul? We find how he responds in 1st and 2nd Peter. He's writing. He's, he's learned to receive that correction. And he has received that so well. And he's boldly declaring to the people the message of unity again. Receiving correction is necessary. So necessary. We don't like it. But it is so necessary. And it's so hard, but it's vital in our relationship with Jesus. You know, we need to be able to receive correction from God. We need to be able to receive honest correction from our peers. So here we've learned about these experiences that Peter has had, and we've identified those strengths and weaknesses. And now, very quickly, I want to go and look at First and Second Peter in the next five minutes. Both of those letters are written to, a perse to persecuted Christians in Rome. They're Gentiles. We know that Peter has fully received that correction because he is writing once again, reaching for those Gentiles. In 1 Peter, he's telling them about their new identity in Christ. He's saying they're, they're going to experience the suffering. That the suffering, it's a strange gift. It is a strange gift. It's used to burn away this false hope that they put into this world, and it purifies.
purifies us. And in doing so, it's making our faith more genuine. And isn't that what we've seen as we've outlined those encounters in the gospel? Peter is becoming more genuine. He calls those people as they're suffering, follow Jesus' pattern. Whatever you're suffering, you, you show love and you show generosity. <coughs> First Peter, it tells us purity, it comes by applying pressure. Peter experienced some of those pressure moments. You know, trials are good for us. After we are suffered a little while, we will be restored. He says, rejoice when you are persecuted and resist evil by standing firm in your faith that there is hope in the midst of our suffering. In 2 Peter, again, he's writing to that same group of people. He understands that he is about to die and he wants to get a message to them. He wants not only to get a message to them, but he's also sending this message to us. And this message is so loud and clear for us to hear today. And we resonate. It resonates with us so much. Um. He's telling them, this is his final call to the Christians. He's saying, never stop growing. Never stop growing. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11 tells us, if we want to be productive in God's kingdom, we've got to grow in several things. Grace and peace, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness. And one other thing that ties all of that together, love. Love, like, crowns all of those things. It brings them all full circle and really rounds everything off. He's calling awareness to that group of teachers. He's saying there's a group of teachers. They've crept in, and they're teaching corrupt things. He's calling the Christians to, um, he's calling those Christians, he's calling them to this restored confidence in what they've known before. These corrupt teachers, they were leading the people astray. They're, they're saying things like, there is no final reckoning. There is no final reckoning that God no longer cares about morals, that they could live however they choose. But those who study moral and ceremonial law, you know that Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law, but that moral law still stands, right? So what those false teachers were teaching, he's calling error. He's calling them out for that. He's saying it does matter, and he actually directs them back to truth, saying rebellion leads to justice. And he points out three examples of how that um, rebellion was justified. And he wraps up that letter. He's telling the people, it's the people they've gotten like, uh, like, where is God? Why has he not come back so quickly? Or why are we still waiting? And he, uh, he wraps up the letter by telling people, it's God's long-suffering. It's his long-suffering that's holding up his return for us. It's not that he's not coming back. It's the fact that he, he is, but he's giving every generation an opportunity to turn and repent because he loves us so much. Showing us that there's this beauty and this long-suffering and this holdup to God's return. When we look at 2 Peter historically, we hear Peter, he's talking about God's love for us and his determination to rescue us. And that that fact that God is trying to rescue us, that in that he's got to confront and deal with evil in our lives. God, he used Peter as a rock to begin a movement that changed history. Would you all agree? At the end of this 
whole study, you know, we can look at all of Peter's faults. We can see that he didn't have self-control, that he was in all areas. He was impulsive, he's driven by emotion, he speaks out of turn, he makes rash decisions. But none of that matters, because the one strength he had was so powerful that it covered all of it. And that strength that he had was his profession of faith, a faith that allowed him to grow as he watched, learned, listened, and asked questions. He didn't allow mistakes to stop him. He understood that relationship with Jesus was a process that lasts an entire lifetime. We can sum up his life by looking to see what he wrote at the end of 2 Peter. He charges those Christians and us today. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's just what we saw as we looked at his life. And it's exactly what Peter allowed to happen in his own and that's what developed him into this great leader in the early church, which is the exact same truth that will allow God to grow us into leaders that our world needs today. And that's what I got for you guys tonight. So I hope that you have enjoyed this study on Peter. I know it was a whole lot, but there's a whole lot to know. So thank you guys for joining me. Um, I would ask before we leave, could we please um, say a prayer for Angie Brown and her boys? Just, I don't know the whole situation, but I do know that we need prayer for sure. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much that we could be together tonight in this study. Lord, we love you, and we pray over Angie, and we pray over Brady and Cameron. Lord, we don't know the specifics of this situation, but God, we know that we need you. We pray, Lord, that you would be with Angie in that hospital. We pray, God, that you would cover her. We pray, Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen those boys. We pray that you would give them courage. Lord, that you would be their great comforter. That you would guide their steps and hold their hand. Help them to make whatever decisions need to be made. Give them wisdom, Lord. Be their peace that passes all understanding. We pray that you will. Pray for that healing, God. We know that you are able, Father. We thank you so much that we can call out to you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray. Please be with them. Thank you, Jesus. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen.